Welcome to the Gals Guide Podcast. Join us on an adventure to get to know famous and infamous women from around the world. Each of our presenters has a pick. Is she ancient history? Is she breaking news? Is she safe for work? Well, that's up to each presenter. All we know is that... Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Welcome back. I'm Josh, and I'm joined by Leah, Bonnie, and Katie sharing our African girl pick. Bonnie already talked about Huda Sharari, but before we dive back in, I want to get to know something random about our gal pals. I want to know, have you ever listened to African music? Who are your favorite artists? Dun, 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 dun. Googling ensues. <laughs> <laughs> but of course. I Googled and I don't even have anything to say. I'm the lamest person ever. I'm not a big You're musical fine. person in the music I do That's know true. or like. I don't really know names of songs or artists. So, yeah. But I have to say, like... Everything I've ever learned about the creation of music is so much of it inspired by music that comes out of Africa yeah. that I'm sure there's so many things I like that I don't even truly understand the roots to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That sense of, you know, rock and roll and drumming and rhythm. And jazz. And, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Improv. Yeah. And there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of urban music and stuff that's heavily influenced. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I listen to some music from like England that doesn't make it over here. And a lot of that is like jungle and different uh, electronic dance music and stuff that's heavily influenced by yeah, the instruments, and... African imports and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Bonnie, do you have one or do you want me to go? <laughs> I just instantly turn and looked at me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know any off the top of my head. Um, from just straight from Africa, I was raised on oldies. Yeah. So I have like the next step of like Motown. Right. Right. Of like that. There is like the Lion right. Sleeps Tonight, which is a traditional uh, African song. Mm. So that kind of uh, I super don't like that song. Yeah. No. It's <laughs> it got very whitewashed. Uh, yeah. And there was a battle for actually having the original people who wrote it uh, mm-hmm. to get credit for it. But it does, at least there's that, oh, okay, that sound, that, you know, that feel, Mm -hmm. that, okay. But, you know, it's a whitewash version, yeah. (laughs) That's probably why I say that. There you go. Disney ruined it. (laughs) There's also that, yes, exactly. You get the Kuna Matatas and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I I see Bonnie bopping. You're already singing it in your head, aren't you? (laughs) Circle of life and everything. What about you, Leah? Uh, I love Miriam McCaba. So Miriam McCaba was somebody I brought up on the podcast before. Uh, she is Mama Africa. Uh, she was the one uh, South African performer uh, featured in a documentary in like her 20s, went to the Venice Film Festival to see the documentary, and the country told her not to return. And so for 30 years, uh, she was abandoned by her own country, but yet she still uh, went around uh, different places in Africa, learned the languages, learned the folk songs, sang the songs, uh, learned them, embodied them, um, and spread African music all over the place. And yet her own home, she wasn't allowed to return to. Um, Pata Pata is one of my favorite mm. songs of hers. It's it's one of those songs that it's very hard not to smile and dance when you hear it. Because it just, you have no idea what she's talking about. And what she's talking about is on Friday night, we dance. Like that's the whole song. Friday, we dance. That's <laughs> Pata Pata. But you just, you feel so happy and lively. And so I just adore her for that. So she has this traumatic uh 
uh, life story that she had to overcome, but yet her music, um, not all of it, but for the most part, is super, super happy and joyful and celebratory. But she also mm-hmm. does have some super sad songs, too, which her daughter wrote, actually. Mm-hmm. So I love Miriam McCabe. Yeah. She's adorable. Josh, how about you? Um, yes, definitely Miriam McCabe. Yep. And I'll throw out um, Hugh Masekela. They were married. They were married for a while, yes. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually have a lot of influence in American music. Yeah, yeah, because they lived in New York for a little bit. Yep, and yeah. they, they had a lot of influence on, like, the Birds and some of those, like, folk rock bands that were transitioning out of that. Mm-hmm. And so, very important there. Um, Cesaria Evora, she's from her, yeah. Cape Verde. Okay. Super, super good singer. And Fela Kuti. Heard that name. He, I I'm blanking on most of his, like, story. But he, um, he was from West Africa, and he did a lot of, like, revolutionary songs and uh, stuff like protest that. Protest songs. So, yeah, he was Do you love me a good big. protest song? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, and then there was some other ones. I'm like, I know I know other ones from that I've heard and I know their songs and stuff, but th- those are the ones I could come up with without having to. Yeah. Those are your faves. Yeah. have to pull out the whole CD collection and start thumbing through everything, but. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Sweet. Well, who do you have for us? I have uh, a, a gal that I found super interesting and she's, we're going to talk about her on walking club Yay, because she kind of fits into what I like, which is plants. And no. uh, so I'm like, <laughs> Bobby's <let's>... listening. Yep. <laughs> and, there were no plans. <laughs> and I want the, the, the gals that I talk about on walking club to have something to do with nature and yeah. stuff. Cause that's what we're walking club partly is trying to do is, is get people back in touch with nature and plants and stuff like that. So, um, the lady I have, her full name is Nakwanda Makunga, nice. but she goes by professor Knox. Easy. And that's, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that's probably why she goes by that, because for some people, it's easier to say. It's also a very memorable name, too. Yeah. So, yes, it is. Yeah. Definitely. Gives a nice ring to it. Um, but she's a professor. She's st- currently a professor at Stellenbosch University, or Stellenbosch University, specializing in medicinal plant biology. Yay! She grew up in, a small, in the small town of Alice, South Africa. Her father, Oswald, uh, was a botanist. And uh, she got her PhD in molecular biology of plants from the University of KwaZulu-Natal in 2004. Sweet. So that kind of might help kind of gauge how old she is. Because since she's still alive, there wasn't a lot of like super personal information about her, which... Doesn't need to be. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, She started working at Stellenbosch University in 2005. In an interview, she spoke of her move from a small university in an English town, moving to Stellenbosch, which is a predominantly Afrikaner uh, town. Gotcha. And so the language there is different, and kind of the the customs and stuff are different. She said she was the only black scientist on the science faculty. She had no friends there, and she didn't understand some aspects of the culture. In an interview with Women's Report, she said, I made a decision. I knew I needed to be here because sometimes I would walk around on campus and not see a single person who looked like me. I knew that to make the place accommodating of black women, I needed to stick it out and make the place home for me and hopefully make it home for others. So, yeah, so she was kind of a pioneer Mm -hmm. 
in the 2000s. Nice. You know, wow. so. Which you shouldn't yeah. feel like you need to be in the 2000s, but in, you needed to be. Yeah, in yeah. South Africa. Right. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. Good on you. But um, before she took the position um, at Stellenbosch, she was told by a colleague, Stellenbosch is no place for a black woman. So welcome question mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she she succeeded there. Yay. So um but so her work um looks to identify how plants regulate regulate their secondary metabolism. Okay. And so secondary metabolites Bunny's are like, I totally know what you're talking about. And I'm like, what now? <laughs> yeah, if you if you watch plant nerd videos on youtube okay. they always talk about secondary metabolites and stuff but what so secondary that? metabolites okay, thank you. <laughs> are specialist compounds that plants produce to make themselves more competitive in their environment oh so they're not oh. and they vary from plant to plant depending on the environment yeah so um they can either be antifungal compounds oh. or antiviral or insect repelling in nature to so that it, they make themselves less palatable to insects. It's like um, self-defense, sort yes, of? Yes, some of them are self-defense. Okay. Some of, but they can be from plant or from other plants. They can be from animals or even like some of them have different metabolites to help them cope with temperature extremes, uh-huh. salinity, even droughts. Um, some will get kind of a reddish some early leaves will have like a reddish tint to them as like a sunscreen so that they don't absorb as much sunlight. And so then the tender new leaves have a chance to develop and get going. Um, Some examples of secondary metabolites that we all know, there's alkaloids, which those can be things like cocaine. Okay. I was going to say, I'm like, I don't know my alkaloids, but morphine, (laughs) morphine, (laughs) caffeine, nicotine. Yeah. Um, I know those. There you go. (laughs) They can also be flavonoids, which, you know, everybody talks about getting your flavonoids in your diet and stuff like that. And it's a lot of times what makes flowers, uh, there's a certain color that they'll be if they're high in flavonoids. Um, So it's also a coloring. Um, Also tannins, which is in like tea and stuff like that. Terpenes, polyphenols. So a lot of... A lot of stuff that even we use in our own bodies, like nicotine isn't meant for, you know, wasn't made for us to smoke. It was made as a repellent to keep I mean, it also does that too. things away. But, <laughs> well, you know, it, it, once you're not used to. Yeah, once... smoke around you. Leave me alone. I'm in my nicotine bubble. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but Professor Nock does a lot of work in local communities with traditional healers. Because a large portion of the population in South Africa still relies on traditional medicine as part of their health care regimen. So she is, her work looks for new biologically active compounds to facilitate plants efficiently in a non-destructive, sustainable manner. So she wants to be able to have these communities still be able to use these plants, but in a way that's sustainable. Nice. And that also works around the drug companies. Uh, so yeah. she's not out there looking for the newest discovery so that she can patent it and turn it into a drug. Right. She's trying to learn how can the community use these plants efficiently and for their own 
uh, healthcare. Like human processing, not like machine and yeah. pharmaceutical yeah. processing and stuff. Exactly. Um, all that being said, she's very clear that her work is about understanding the plants themselves rather than utilizing that information for just drug or drug discovery purposes. It's about validating indigenous knowledge, not exploiting the environment. Well, that's I, weird. I know. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Let's try that for a while. I think that would be a great idea. Well, and one of the things she had learned was that when plants are stressed, they produce less of these metabolites. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a drought going on and you need an herb for medicine, it's going to have less potency because mm-hmm. of the drought. And It's working so much on surviving the surviving. drought. Surviving, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so one of the things she's uh, kind of looking at is how is that going to affect the plants when uh, climate change starts getting worse? Yeah. And so eventually some of these plants, you're going to have to really be specific about what times you're picking them and what times you're going to them for the medicine because at certain times of the year they may be kind of almost useless for medicinal purposes. Right. So, and that was something I had never really thought of about was that the the amount of these secondary metabolites would kind of vary depending on weather conditions and uh, stressing and stuff like that. Yeah. If they're more freaking out, then you can't use them for what you would like to use them for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in 2011, she won the National Science and Technology Forum's Distinguished Young Black Researcher Award. Mm-hmm. She also won the T.W. Kambula Award, which is an award that's named after... Tamasankwa Kambula, who was a South African mathematician and educator. He was the first black professor at the University of Whitewater's Rand and the first black person to be awarded honorary membership in the Actuarial Society of South Africa. Oh, wow. Which actuarial is math- mathematics. Oh, that's math? Okay. Yeah, it's math Sweet. stuff. <laughs> I would assume uh, wizard math, as we call it. Once you get past, like, the high school math, it becomes wizard math. <laughs> it, yeah, it pretty much is. It means I don't understand it, and it's magical. It's what they use in insurance and stuff to uh, uh, figure out, like, risks and stuff like that. It's yeah, all right. not fun stuff. He Power was also awarded them. the Order of the Baobab in 2002. The Baobab tree! Which yeah. is an award I would love to get one day, just because I love Baobab trees. Yes! Well, I mean, knowledge is like a Baobab tree. No one can encompass... Sorry, I'm just saying it again. <laughs> Um, in 2017, she was a Fulbright Scholar at the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis. What? A Minnesota gal? Yes, exactly. Oh, look at that. She also holds a patent for vegetative plant propagation, which I couldn't really find anything more about. Okay. But, I mean, not that I would probably understand <laughs> what she was doing. But. <laughs> so she patented, like, the process? I, I, it, my guess is, or? my guess is from looking or from listening to some of her uh, like talks and stuff on YouTube, it probably had to do not with like traditional seed propagation, mm-hmm. but she was talking a lot about vegetative propagation mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Some like high tech, mm-hmm. like tissue culture kind of propagation is my guess. You're talking about nerd plant stuff, Katie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also an editor at the South African Journal of Botany. Oh, nice. But she's, uh, 
known by some as a passionate science educator, mm -hmm. and um, she was one of the leaders of the annual Black Botanist Week. Oh, sweet. Which I looked and looked to see when it was going to be this year. Yeah, yeah. And I really couldn't find anything, but it seemed like the two times it did pop up were in July. Okay. Gotcha. So um, keep we'll an eye keep, out yeah, for yeah. that. Right. Because uh, Black Birders Week, I know, is in February. Yeah. Can't tell you when, but I know it's in February. I'll put it in show notes. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's this month. <laughs> the the Black Botanist Week didn't, I don't know if it just didn't have the takeoff that Black Birders Week right, did right. Yeah, or what, yeah. but it just, there was stuff about it from around like 2021, 2022, and then it hmm. seemed to kind of drop off from there. Gotcha. But, you know. Well, we can do what we can for a resurgence. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it back. We'll try. <laughs> um, I will leave you with uh, three quotes um, from, they're from Professor Knox, but they're not her quotes. They're okay. quotes she mm. gave in her speeches that I felt kind of really em embodied kind of her, her ethics. Um, gotcha. The first quote is from George Washington Carver. The secrets are in the plants. To elicit them, you have to love them enough. Aww, yeah. And that's with anything. I mean, yeah. that's with, you know, people and... Books, history. Books and, <laughs> yes. What we do here. Yeah. Gotta love it enough. Yes. <laughs> and this was a traditional Khoisan saying. Yeah. Um, is you can't sow seeds of discord and expect to harvest different. You will always reap what you have sown, and that is the law of the universe. And that's where that reap where you what you reap sow. Yeah. Um, I or yeah, I think the origins of the just that bit of reap what you sow is, is more biblical. Oh, okay, in nature, gotcha. Okay, so this is kind of a this is a take on that. Yes. Oh, I gotcha. Um, I mean, it's she had it as a koi san saying, which is technically two different. Uh, Ethnic groups from South Africa. There's the San and then the Khoi. They're both from the same kind of lineage of language, but they're um, two different ethnic groups down there. But gotcha. that's how she. That's the phrasing she used to describe the where that saying, traditional saying, had come from. Nice. And then the last one um, is Professor Knox closed her TED talk with this quote from ethnobotanist Mark Plotkin. Every time a medicine man dies, it's like burning down a library. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that whole indigenous knowledge mm -hmm. and, you know, who's who are the keepers of the knowledge mm -hmm. and will the next generation pick up that knowledge and carry it forward and right. or is it lost to time? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, there's a lot of a lot of indigenous knowledge that really has meaning and place that science is just learning and just figuring out it's now. It's multi-layered. I mean, it, it's entwined with a lot of different things besides just this documentation and this provable thing. Yeah. It also has those elements of mythology and religion and practice and culture and heritage. And we do this because it's worked for hundreds of thousands of years. So Well, and that's the thing yeah. is like modern medicine you know, we've only been doing modern, quote unquote, modern medicine for a couple hundred years. You know, mm -hmm. some of this traditional knowledge that's from, uh, you know, medicine men, it, it yeah. goes back thousands of years. And, and it's not necessarily documented. Right. 
just because it's not documented doesn't mean it didn't work. It probably has worked for a really, really long time. And they may not. I mean, we're here, right? (laughs) And they may not be able to use the, you know, the fancy terms that, you know, the modern doctors and scientists use, but Mm -hmm. they know what works and what doesn't work because they've had that, you know, thousands of years of trial and error and, and built up wisdom to be able to, uh, put into practice yeah exactly i dig it i like it bonnie do you have at least eight questions for josh about i'm just kidding (laughs) i'm like it's a it's a plant person so i'm like wait a minute (laughs) does she have a lecture on plant epigenetics (laughs) quite possibly yeah she had uh, there was there was a ted talk that she gave and then there was another that was a presentation she gave to the university of stellenbosch she does talk a little bit about genetics in one of them, um, not super in, in depth, but. Neat. Is that your fun wheelhouse? You're like, yeah. No, it's like a thing that I heard about in the last like year and I'm like, I need to. It's Dig like in. how a plant like adapts yeah. kind of to the next thing. It's like, yeah. Yeah. All... A genetic evolution sort of thing. Yeah, like a plant will like change its DNA to adapt to do to survive. Yeah, yeah. And all animals and plants and yeah. anything with genes basically uh-huh. has that little it's just kind of it turns up or down how mm-hmm. the the volume of the gene. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know, and then slowly those can get passed to the next generations mm-hmm. and and stuff like that so yeah Yeah. something that you know decades ago we didn't have any clue about but that's just they're starting to learn the ins and outs of that's why like the best plants or the plants that will do the best in your yard are ones that you've grown before in your yard and save the seeds from because they've adapted so they're gonna do better they know the the environment they're they're kind of comfortable there. <laughs> and that's why if you can get locally locally mm-hmm. harvested seeds and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. from Circle City Seeds. <laughs> really? Look at that. Then they're, they've kind of... i in the show now. They've <laughs> adapted themselves to the local environment. And yeah, yeah. so they will grow better because mm-hmm. there's... I mean, there's even like... I think... I'm trying to remember the tree now. There was... It, in, in California, there's trees that will grow up in high altitudes and they're mm-hmm. they're shorter and they're more bent and by the wind mm-hmm. and yeah. things like that and then that same species of tree grows down a few thousand feet in easier climate and more availability of water and things and those trees will grow way bigger and taller because uh-huh. just that those little microclimate changes mm-hmm change up the genetics of the plant just a little bit. It grows into what it needs and what it can. It adapts. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Neat. I dig it. Well, plants. Did you want to close us out? I will. Sweet. I dig it. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for this week. Join us next week as another African gal is picked to share as the Gal's Guide podcast continues. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Want to learn about more women of history? Gals Guide opened a unique women's history lending library. Come visit and explore our collection. Learn more at galsguide.org. Thanks for listening.